Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to The Spilled Tea, your place for the latest on pop culture, entertainment news, and LGBT issues. Now, here are your hosts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Spilled Tea. I am your host, Emmy Morgan, and I'm here with a very special guest, producer Gabrielle Pickle. I call her Gabby. That's her nickname. So <laughs> if you hear me calling her Gabby, just a nickname. Um, hi, Gabby. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming I'm a on. Nervous, we were having, but I'm excited. To oh, talk don't be you. nervous, please. You can swear. You can do anything. Yeah, this is our first backstory. So I met Gabby through a friend, and that's all I'm gonna say for now. And um, we just clicked right away, just right away. And it was even through um, Instagram, but still, I just loved her personality. So um, I was like, hey, well, and I kept Andy on my show. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, told said ahead. mutual friend, I was like, mm-hmm. I need to find a way to like force her to be friends with me. How do I do this? And he's like, it's going to happen. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm not a it's what it happened person. I 100% like own my future. And so I just messaged her. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, we can say how we know. So we met through my best friend, Brandon. That's how we met. And I've been best friends with Brandon since. I'm weird. I know this is going to sound crazy, but I have this thing about dates. I always remember dates. I met Brandon five days after, the day after Valentine's. So February 15, 2000. He and I met, and um, we met on this website a long time ago called gay.com before I transitioned. And I was like, oh, my God, he's so cute. And when we met in person, he's like, yeah, come over and we'll hang out. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to date this guy. So I went over and I was like, hey, so we're going to hang out. He's like, yeah, um, before we hang out, I need to go to my boyfriend's house and then we can hang out after that. I'm like, boyfriend? He goes, oh, yeah, I was only on there to make friends. I'm like, but I like you. He goes, oh, sweetie, we're going to be friends. That's it. <laughs> the way he said it, I will never forget it. I will never forget. I can he hear looked him at me and he was like, Exactly. He was like, oh, sweetie, we're going to be friends. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Like, okay. And I accepted it. And 20 years later, we're still friends. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I love him. Yeah. He, He's amazing. He literally, we have this one rule in our friendship. We have to see or talk on the phone with each other at least once per year. Usually it's see, but we've amended it to talk on the phone just because we're both like crazy busy. And we did mm-hmm. all of that, except last year we did not hang out once. So Aww. I'm a little disappointed in us. Yes. But every other year since 2000, we've hung out. one. And there was one time we, we spent one day together. That's it. A whole day that, for the whole year. And that was it. But, yeah, that's our one rule. But go, I'm sorry. You were going to say something? No, I was just going to say I've known him a lot shorter amount of time, maybe like two and a half mm-hmm. years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but he mm-hmm. came up to me after a panel and was like, I'm not going to take your time away from all these little people that want to talk to you and learn all of your things, but can I buy you a glass of wine next week? 
we just need to talk. And I'm like, I mean, he's offering me wine. I'm going to meet up with him. And so (laughs) we did. And then talked for like three hours. Had so much wine. It was great. And it was just that like. He's good at reading people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. our personalities obviously all get along well. So anyway, good times. Yeah. Amazing. I have to have him on the show at some point. But I, let me just tell my audience, be prepared because when he and I get together, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's talk about Gabby. So first thing that I like to do is give a short bio on where um, my guests come from. So tell us a little bit about your background. That's a fun question. Okay, so yeah. I am a Southern girl through and through. My family is okay. um, originally from Mississippi. Um, and I've kind of taken the long road to getting to, um, I grew up okay. in a very, kind of, not always a small town, but a small town mentality. Um, very yeah. conservative, mm-hmm. small town, just like the only acceptable things for me to do if I didn't want to marry immediately was like be a doctor mm-hmm. or a lawyer, something respectable, you know, that your parents can brag right. about over at the country club or, and I say at country the, club, it was like the, the most right. lowbrow country club ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's still a country club like though. Bass, <laughs> it is. And it's like bass <laughs> fishing and like people pull their trailers <laughs> in and park them for the summer. Oh my uh, But God. it was delightful. Like we look yeah. forward to summers every year. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't that like, we were very people of the earth. That's what I'm going to say. But you weren't um, like red. Uh, no, but a little there bit. definitely sprinkles. Well, we'll call it sprinkles. Yeah, um, yeah, Country. Yeah. I would say country is probably a good way to country. describe it. Okay, okay, um, okay. And I grew up, both of my grandfathers were doctors. Um, oh. One was a small town, like the only surgeon in town, and my grandmother was his ER nurse. Um, so, like, mm-hmm. very small town life. Um, right. So I grew up in this framework of like, here are these like four acceptable options for my life. And I chose medicine mm. because I love science and I was always very yeah. good at it. And that was kind of my chosen, I chose it when I was 12. That was going to be my life. And I worked toward that single mindedly until probably my, it was my senior year of college that I was doing like working in hospitals and working under ER doctors and surgeons and all of this. And I looked around and I was like, I don't want this life. And there were all these different reasons why, but it was just like complete identity crisis because I'd been planning to be a doctor since I was 12. Mm -hmm. And I'm planning in the sense of, I had like Harvard list of qualifications that you needed to get into Harvard medical school. I didn't want to go to Harvard. And you worked your way up. Yeah. But like mm-hmm. that was my goal. That was my goal. Junior high, mm-hmm. high school, college, everything. And I graduated with the highest math and science GPA in my school. Wow. Um, but I was like, I don't want to do this. So I went on this like quest of figuring things out and got into a lot of very interested in a lot of women's issues. Um, not obstetrics, because I'm not going to lie, that stuff still grosses me out to this day. I can't. Um, I mean, yeah. <laughs> just can't. Yeah. Like blood and dust and like a bone sticking out of your leg, I uh, will help uh, you. But if you're birthing something, yeah. mm, mm, I'm going to need, we're going to need to call 911. Anyway. Yeah. So. I can see that. I, I got more interested into like 
women's issues, specifically related to trauma and psychology and stuff. And so um, mm-hmm. went and got my master's in women's studies while trying to figure out what in the world I was going to do with that. Um, but I got mm-hmm. to read so much, like, just historical information about the women's movements and, like, fighting to vote and just everything from, you know, the dawn of time up until where we are currently and what that looks like for women. And, um, and a lot of that kind of opened the door to look at what it does to all minorities. And I think that was kind mm-hmm. of the first time I realized I felt such a kinship with literally all mm-hmm. the minorities out there because we were all facing at different times in history, the exact same fight for rights and to mm-hmm. be seen as people. Um, and so then from there, I kind of, I have such a long story anyway, but I went it's okay. overseas, um, and okay. worked in Southeast Asia for a nonprofit. And part of what I did was just, was like coordinating groups that would come in for medical care or educating orphans or just like whatever the different needs were. So I helped coordinate that. Um, but I also mm-hmm. forgot to mention, paid my way through my master's writing as a copywriter. Mm-hmm. So I took that and was like, let me go work for this nonprofit and also provide them with marketing materials. So did a bunch of interviews and, you know, just like, how do I take this world that is different from the American experience, mm-hmm. especially like the middle-class mm-hmm. American experience and translate that mm-hmm. into a way that people can understand and not feel sorry for, but like bridge the gap. And so did a ton of writing there and realized the thing that I loved most was telling their stories. And that was kind of the pivotal point for me um, Mm -hmm. was just that I, these stories matter. And if somebody doesn't tell stories that are not the, the middle class American perspective, then those people are literally never going to hear about anyone else in their world because they're not going to seek it out. Exactly. As a majority. They're not going to relate to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so my thing became, I want to like give a voice to these people and I want to find a way to like bridge the gap between content and um, consumers. And so that mm-hmm. led me to work for a nonprofit here and I moved to Atlanta in 2010 um, and then quickly left that because I, it, it wasn't a good fit. Um, and I was still looking for something that like helps me fire on all cylinders. And at that time in Atlanta, the tax credit had started in 2008. So by 2010, it was kind of getting traction, huge independent film community. And I realized very quickly that I was like one degree of separation away from all of these actors and directors and filmmakers and whatnot. And so just kind of started asking friends, hey, could you introduce me? Or, you know, would you, is there a way that I could volunteer? And so I spent a year working for free, and say working for free, volunteering on people's projects to just get to know them. And then, and get to know uh, more about okay. And at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm paying my bills through writing the whole time mm-hmm. as a copywriter. And so I did wow. a lot of social media marketing for actors and just like whatever that kind of paid the bills and kept me meeting people. And in 2011, I was given an opportunity. Like, I had an actor who was the lead in a movie, a little movie, like tiny horror film. Um, But he was the lead. And he was like, well, maybe I can get you a job as a PA on it. 
so he did. Oh. And I and I was like, this is amazing. Like my, this is my first feature ever. And I made I worked I was an art department PA and I made signs and um, a whole bunch of fake pot plants and <laughs> fake guns. I mean, it's a horror movie, mm-hmm. yeah, you know. Yeah, you have. And yeah, then yeah. the for different reasons, the shoot got pushed two months. And I quickly realized mm. in talking with the producer and director that they didn't have all their locations. Their schedule wasn't finalized. Like there were a bunch of little holes and stuff where they just needed hands. And so I was like, well, if I could volunteer like one day a week to help you guys with this, would that, would you be interested? And of course they're like, yes, please. Um, and because <laughs> I came from a background of like creative directing, copywriting, like understanding the whole, like marketing animal of how information is, you know, like all of your deadlines and how you organize things and the different people that contribute and all of those steps, it kind of very quickly translated to film. I just had to learn the lingo because it's a completely different language. But worked for them. And by the time we started shooting, I was their production manager on the film. And we got done. I know, crazy. But it went to two wow. years of work experience before coming into the industry is what I would say. You know, I didn't right. have any idea that film stability for me. And it's still kind of a weird thing for my family. Like they're like, okay, <laughs> we don't really know what you do, but we are seeing your films on like Amazon and Netflix and stuff. So I guess it's the truth. So we're supportive. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, it's like, I just don't understand. Nobody in our world does this. And, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of understand that, but yeah. Yeah. So I started from there and then just worked really hard and asked for a lot of advice, had several different people in the industry that spent, you know, half a day or multiple days teaching me budgeting, scheduling, like all of the different things that I needed to learn contracts, you know, how to negotiate all of these things. And then you just practice and you make mistakes and you learn from them and move on, you know, and that's been the last nine years of my life has officially been in film and it's been good. Like we've, I've made a lot of films surprisingly enough. So, and they're all out in the world, which I think is amazing considering independent film has been harder to distribute and like for people make money and for people to see and whatnot up against the studio stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud at where I'm at now and hoping it continues for the future. Not hoping it's going to, because I don't have any other options. Hello. Hi, sorry. Not sure how I got disconnected. (laughs) <laughs> Did you okay, so what was the last thing you heard? <laughs> um last thing I heard was you were sorry, I'm like thrown off. Um wait a minute. Just continue wherever you were because it was still recording while well, you were I talking. Finished. <laughs> so oh. I'm done. <laughs> but I don't know your follow up question. Oh my god, I can't believe that happened. I'm like I was still talking and then I heard the beep. And then I was like, okay, guys, hold on. I'll go get Gabby. And I was like, wait, I'm, oh, that's just 
And I'm just over here oblivious, just talking about my life. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Okay. So, last, last thing that I heard was, and I was trying to write down what you were saying as well. You went from being a PA to basically being a production manager. And mm-hmm. you guys, oh, my God, that's so crazy. That's never happened before, by the way. Um, I mean, I would say, <sighs> and I hear this often when I talk to, like, PA groups and academies and yep. stuff, like, it all goes to your life experience. And so if you're 20 mm. and you're getting a PA job, you need to expect that, like, your management position is going to come when you're 30-ish, you know, maybe uh, you're okay. 27. But, like, that's kind of – you have to have a certain amount of life experience to be handed that level of responsibility, because I spent so much time in like working in positions, working up to management film industry, I think it transitioned much faster because I'd already Mm. done the leadership training and I'd already done the organizational training and I knew how to manage money um, for, you know, entire, like I was responsible for entire like creative ad budgets. And so, like, because of the of volunteer work in South Asia and stuff. That was some Is of it. But like me as a oh. copywriter and as a creative director, oh, okay. even while I was okay. getting my master's, like all of that was different skills learned that while I never felt it was the right fit, they all kind of created this great pile of skills that when I got into film, it was just a matter of people realizing I had them and then they wanted to use them. And so I don't think that like my story is necessarily that remarkable in the sense that it's all about the work you're putting in. And so Mm -hmm. I know of people that I work with that are much younger than me that have also put in that work and like been dedicated about getting their careers off the ground since they were 16 or younger. And so it's all about it's wherever you start, you're going to, you're going to have to pay your dues. And then at some point, like people really see, okay, there's a lot here. Let me give you an opportunity. And that's kind of how so, it works in the film, film industry. I had two questions actually. Now I remember what is a copywriter? So a copywriter in a marketing sense is the person mm-hmm. that is responsible for making all of the words that go with the pictures for what you're marketing. So it could be your, like if you have a Nike commercial, somebody is coming up with like the visuals and the copywriter is coming up with either what's said or what's written. And like the slogan. Slogan or if they're, if they're saying something, the script. Okay. Or if it's like a full on ad campaign or like I worked a lot in nonprofits and so it was a lot wordier or like, more about people's stories and call to action. And so it's really assessing whatever the cause or the product is, finding a way to have it really appeal to a certain market, which helps out in film because it's the same thing when you go to sell a movie. You need to have all the pieces in place to appeal to the audience because not everybody's going to watch every movie. So being a copywriter... 100% 100% prepared you for being the PA, the production manager, and that kind of thing. 
it definitely contributed. Yeah. I would yeah. say, like, I wouldn't say go be a copywriter to become a PA. I think everybody's right. but, journeys uh, are different. But it yeah, definitely yeah. gave me a lot of skills that led mm-hmm. into, you know, and you have to think about, like, the soft skills, like pitching, mm-hmm. negotiating, mm-hmm. managing time, mm-hmm. being able to marshal troops, and, like, all these things that you learn just kind of in a work very much mm-hmm. transition into film very easily. And I've been on sets, movie sets as background extras. So mm-hmm. I kind of know what a PA is, um, but I don't know the actual duties of a production assistant. And it sounds like they are very important. Can they you are. That? They are. They are the bottom of the totem pole, but I tell you, you mm-hmm. could not make a movie without them. Um, and it's not there's one job for a PA. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, like, if you want to be a film producer, be a PA yeah. and work your way up. Okay. Because okay. I have found that makes you more empathetic to mm-hmm. and a better leader um, because you've risen through the ranks and you understand what your crew and your past are being faced with. If it's a shoot in the snow, you understand what it's like mm-hmm. to be on lockup at the end of that road, not letting anybody pass. Mm-hmm in 20-degree weather, freezing your butt yep. off, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it just it just gives you a very well-rounded experience. And it also helps you interact with all departments. So it helps you mm-hmm. figure out if you don't know what you want to do, you're able to observe Grip and Electric, actors, stand-ins, producers. Like, you're interacting across all departments. And then from there, it's quite easy. If you're a hard worker and have a good attitude, it's very easy to move up. Um, wow. Those are kind of key for me: hard worker and good attitude. Everything yeah. else you can learn, but if you don't come with those, then I'm not going to hire you again because I don't want to live a miserable life working with people who make me miserable. Um, but yeah, production assistants can be everything from like part of the AD team, meaning that they're locking up sets, they're working like making sure actors get from their trailers to set, handing out walkies. Um, managing the production supplies, like the trucks and packing things. There's locations, PAs that are helping, you know, set up and take down tents and tables and chairs and all the different things you need every day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There are ones in each department. Like there might be one in art oh, um, okay. that is helping out in that. the art office. And, you know, there are one, it just depends. Um what you're interested in. And often, and sometimes like there's a lot of office PAs, meaning they work in the production office, which is usually separate from your set location. So they're doing a lot of runner jobs of picking up stuff and delivering it to set. They're making sure that like all the paperwork that needs to go to set for contracts and call sheets and whatnot, it goes there and just that everything stays organized. Um, Yeah. They're very important. And it's, a good PA is gold. Like it's wow. a fight between producers to like who gets to keep the PA, you know, like we train mm-hmm. them and then it's like, and they're gone. But it's very, it's very true that like, if you're an actor, you should always be nice to your PAs because in like five mm-hmm. to 10 years, they could literally be the one hiring you. So oh, that is so don't, funny. Don't <laughs> And for everyone that wants to know, there um, there are actors that have 
then TAs and turned into actors, mm-hmm. like Bill Hader, Ed Burns, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the only two that pop in my mind right now. But, yeah, I know that, I mean, being a PA is something that, it's an open door, it's a window to see everything, mm-hmm. but also to build relationships. So, yeah. there, you know, if you were started out as just um, a set PA, not just, but a set PA, and then yeah, we're like, I'm very mm-hmm. interested in casting. And then you potentially could move to the casting department to help with wow. all of the background or all of the, like whatever is happen- happening there. And then you get to talk to the casting director about the fact that you're interested in this. I saw, so I worked on Vampire Diaries here in Atlanta for one season. Back oh, in like 2014. no. Um, that is one yeah, of my and I got shows to ever. I'm not going to comment on the show. Anyway, I worked on it. Uh, I loved the people I worked with. It was like, it was very much like a family. And there was a PA in the art department that really wanted to be an actor. And so Mm -hmm. the art director came and talked to the UPM, which is the unit production manager, and was like, is there any way we could give him a chance to audition for one of these like one day roles? And Uh she was like, yeah. Absolutely. Let's go tape him. And so they walked down to the casting department, taped him, put him up, and gave it to the producers, like not really telling him who he was. But they had like four people to pick from, and they picked him. And so he got to be an actor on screen for a day, and that kind of like started things for him. So I love hearing that stuff. It's all about relationships. I love hearing that stuff, especially right now, because in the climate of Hollywood, there's so much about the casting couch. There's so much bad stuff you hear. And although that's all true and everything, I love hearing the good stuff like this. Yeah. And, and I would say, like, as a woman in management mm-hmm. on a film set, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are both good and bad things about that. Um, right. Similar, and so I'm going to take a step back. Hollywood is very similar to everything that's happening in the government and like racial issues in that okay. it is a very old, old system. Boys club. Mm-hmm. White old men in power yep. that were yep. like, yes, they were interested in technology and these things, but like they saw it as a way to be powerful, to get what they mm-hmm. wanted to quote mm-hmm. unquote cheat, but not cheat to like mm-hmm. take advantage of these people. And it creates, there's such a vacuum of power in Holly, mm. in old Hollywood. And I would say there, that is the foundation on which my industry is built is a vacuum right. of power of the people at the top, having the ability to green light a film, to make your dreams come true, to give you an opportunity that you never would have had otherwise. And up until really around like the 2000s, and I would say like 2000 to 2010 is a window, um, but like up until then, studio films reigned, you know, and it was always about the studio greenlighting something. And there were independent films, but it was so much harder to get done than like once technology went from film to digital and cameras, it opened up a world of new filmmakers. And Mm so I look back at that and I say look back in the sense that like that was the 100% the culture. Um, Mm. It is still very pervasive to this day, 
Mm-hmm. I think we are finally with Harvey Weinstein, Me Too, and everything that has slowly come about. It's the first time people have felt like they could say something and not be mm-hmm. punished. They're still punished. Um, they, yeah. They're like, we, but the minority is growing strong. And you mm-hmm. see these amazing, iconic women and male allies and whatnot standing up and speaking out and saying no and saying that I'm going to implement all of these safety precautions to make sure that no one like is harassed. And if they are, then they have certain outlets to be heard and to have something like action actually taken. Does it still happen? A hundred percent. Yes, it does. But I've seen even recently as this stuff has come out, multiple producers step up and say, no, we are going to run them out of our industry because that is not acceptable. And that's the first time I felt like we started to get Hmm. some power back. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. very like in my brain and I'm white. I want to say that. So it's, I am a listener and a learner and an ally, but I am also Mm -hmm. open. Like I want a dialogue. I want to understand as much as possible but I do feel like what's happening in the entertainment industry is kind of is similar in some ways to the black lives matter movement. And the fact mm-hmm. it's, it's gone on so much longer because entertainment has only like entertainment in the TV world, which is really what we're right. talking about. The invention of the television, which happened 1900s on slavery, yeah. racism, like this is pervasive throughout all of human history and specifically course, for America, yeah. it's been going on for hundreds of years, you know, um, yeah. Yep. So it's a much bigger problem, but looking at Hollywood is kind of like a reflection of that same type of issue and that vacuum of power that people in power, whether they know it or not, are fighting to continue because it works for them. They don't see, you know, like the studio right. heads, even if they're my age and they're totally you know, I'm a supporter of Me Too and I, you know, all this stuff, there's not, they won't an, fight. like, there's mm-hmm. not a motive to change because mm-hmm. right now it still works for them. The thing that we've been fighting, and I say we, meaning really every minority in Hollywood, plus some allies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, it's been a very hard road and you have to, like, I've had to learn to celebrate the little victories, you know? Yeah. Um, when a different story is told or a story from a perspective that is not understood by white men, you know, even something Mm -hmm. as successful as wonder woman, they did Mm -hmm. not want to be a success. Like studios had counted that in the lost column because they did not think this mainstream comic book culture would ever support a female lead. Especially with and a, it made a billion dollars, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was the most successful one by far at that time, you know. Yeah. And same with Black Panther. It was yep. just like, and then you, you know, like you see all of these things, and it's like their minds are blown because this wasn't what made them money in the past. But I'm also like, y'all just exactly. didn't try. That's exactly like nobody why tried making money. this Wonder Woman. Nope. Earlier or Black Panther, you know, like. Nope. Anyway, I digress. And then but. no, no. And then it's funny because 
Then Captain Marvel came out. Now, there was a huge, there was like a year between Black Panther and Captain Marvel. And other movies came out in the Marvel Universe. Ant-Man didn't do so well. Nope. Let's just be honest. Um, Paul Rudd's hilarious and everything. I love him, but that movie was bad. And you know what's funny? I liked it. I don't know why. I did it, but I'm also not a Marvel fan. I have a thing about liking bad movies. I'm obsessed with Marvel. Obsessed with everything Marvel. I don't know if it's because, like, like we live in the city where it's made, and so there's a little just, like, mm, Uh, I don't know. You know, like, everybody I know works on it, and it becomes this whole mm -hmm. kind of, like, it's not super special. So, like, Wonder Woman and Black Panther, I yeah, love for very out, different like reasons. Right. But those were also films where we were like, I don't like going to the theaters. I feel like they're usually pretty dirty. And I just, I'm like, <laughs> I could watch it on my big screen at home in pajamas. And, like, anyway. Right. But there are certain films that I'm like, no, we are going. We are spending mm-hmm. money. And we are, like, we are making our dollar talk. And yeah. Both of those movies I saw in theaters, and I, I was really impressed. And also, so, well, at least Black Panther had several of my friends in it, and I was so proud. So proud. Oh, nice. I saw Black Panther six times in the theater, and that's the most I've ever seen a movie. I saw it twice. My friend. So that might be the my most friend I've ever saw seen anything it, in a movie. <laughs> my friend saw it 23 times. Oh, and my she God. is... She's not a comic book or a Marvel person at all, but she was like, I have to keep seeing this movie. And she's a radio person. Actually, I can say her name. Her name is Pebbles from um, uh, Hot 96.9 in Boston. She, and I went with her once, and she just loved the movie, loved it. Yeah. And I just, I just found it funny that, like, the thing I love about Marvel, and I'll tell you why I'm so obsessed with it, Marvel is the most well-written comic book movie soap opera in history. If you, because of what I did uh, last week or the week before, no, it was the week before, I watched all 22 Marvel movies to back for six days straight. And what I did, that was the second time I've done that. What I did was I started, I found out what the chronological order are. So uh-huh. I think Iron Man was the first actual movie that came out in we 2008. Found. Right. Yeah. But there was a chrono- chronological order to watching them. So I found out the chronological order. And I think the first, what was the first movie? I think it was Captain America chronologically. So that I, was out I in 2011. Yeah. And yeah. The, yeah, it's like Captain America, then Captain Marvel. Um, but the thing that struck me is if you're watching Captain America, again, this is in 2011, they talk about every single Marvel movie that's come out. They talk about Wakanda. They talk about um, mm. space travel. They talk about everything. And you're just like, were they planning on making this a thing? Holy crap. And then the more you get into the films, the more they're talking about other films in the line. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. wow, this is so amazing. Forget Star Wars. This is amazing. <laughs> I know. I'm I was going to say, I've done the chronological with viewing with Star Wars. Yeah. Never with Marvel, this though. Is, 
this is by far so much because just think about it. 2011, they're talking about a movie that didn't come out until 2018. Like, mm-hmm. how? How? I mean, they, they put course, a lot of planning into that franchise. Yes, you know? so much. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what is his name? Kevin Fig? Kevin, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. He has been the constant in all these films. Other than Dan Lee, he was the constant in all of these films. Yeah. So glad. So glad because he is a genius. But well, I, mean, I did have a question work. for it. Yeah, oh, yeah, ahead. I told you it's going to be his legacy forever. Um, one of the questions I have while you were talking is um, the film industry in Hollywood any different from the film industry in Georgia? Like, are there different attitudes towards, let's say, the casting couch or anything? Is it different at all? I would say yes. Um, Okay. In some ways, good. In some ways, not so good. Um, We'll start with the good. Atlanta is a predominantly black city. Like, we come from this rich history of black music. And Mm -hmm. that was the entertainment industry here, already rooted, prior to film happening. Um, okay. And some of that is good and bad. Like some of it's the very like gangster rap culture. And then some of it is like these incredible artists that have come out of Atlanta. Um, mm-hmm. But that kind of laid a foundation for minority voices in a mm-hmm. lot of what I've seen and interacted with to where um, I'm part of several groups of filmmakers. And I feel I feel like Atlanta film industry, both on the studio side and the independent side, we're very connected and supportive in that Mm -hmm. I have had people give me jobs they were offered because they thought I would be a better fit. That's amazing. I've had people say, I love this script. I would love to direct it, but I think this African-American director would be better suited. Call her. Wow. And so like, there's this sense of like a rising tide raises us all that we still have here right. in Atlanta um, where we're still all trying to make it, but we're, we, nobody forgets, you know, even if they move to LA, even if they're like, whatever it is it takes for individual careers to happen, we still stay connected. We still help each other. Wow. Out. And like, we're still Facebook messaging each other, like, hey, so I saw this such and such, could you help with this? Or, you know, I found this script that I think would be a really great tip for you. Or, you know, and just like, there's this sense of camaraderie. And like I said, a rising mm-hmm. tide raises all. And so every individual success is something for the community to celebrate. And that's very different from LA. Yeah, um, I've never LA heard of much that. <laughs> more. And I would say New York as well, but New Yorkers are just like, I've, I've done two films in New York and in New York is just different. It's, it's a very New York mindset and that's just how it's going to be. You know, mm-hmm. LA is such a melting pot because it's everybody coming to like achieve their dreams. But, yeah. and I will say, I feel like LA has changed for the better in the last like two years from my trip mm-hmm. going out there it is much, it is more open. Um, to strangers coming in, whereas I feel like before it was very much 
cutthroat. You don't live here. You're not cool. Yeah. I'm just to yeah. talk to you. Or what oh, can you, I will only talk to you if you can help me. You know, like oh, very yeah. self-serving in a lot of conversations mm-hmm. and things that I, interactions that I've had where I don't have that fear with people in Georgia. Yes, there are self-serving wow. people, but as, in, by large, it's a very supportive community. And I know That's I call amazing. it the nicest mafia in the world are like women's connection, like groups, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I need help with PR on this movie that I'm selling. Who do I call? And then I hit up five women. They call five other women. I have seven options in two hours. Like Holy one of my crap. business partners is a white man. And he's like, could you tap into your like mafia network and see if we could get some information <laughs> here? And he's like, there's literally no white man that will give me the time of day like these women will for you. And I'm like, see, because wow. we know this is how we get shit done, you know? Right. And we all help right. each other as much as possible. And so that's also on the flip side, like when people call me or people are like, I want to learn to be a line producer. I want to learn what? I'm like, I'm going to give you the time of day. We're going to talk about it. And, you know, like we're all helping each other. And I love that, right. which is why I'm like, hesitant to move to LA because I'm like mm. I, it, I miss my you have community. a good thing going like, yeah you know and I would say mm. on the flip side the hard thing about being Atlanta based versus LA is we don't have the immediate access to agencies mm-hmm. we don't yeah. have an agency system that's circulating scripts and projects and like that you can just instantly tap into and it's not that we don't have access to them but because we're not there and we are not, our names are not being circulated every week and we're not at the same dinner parties and at the same industry events and like rubbing elbows, it's very easy to get lost in the other voices and it just Mm -hmm. makes it harder. So even, and we've done, we started two years ago really pursuing relationships with distribution, with financiers, with agencies and it's taken about two years for people to like know our phone numbers and answer the call. Right. You know? um, but it's, it's slowly coming, but this is not, it's because my company specifically set that as a goal and like has been actively working toward it for two years. It's not something that's easy for Georgia. Say like people that are LA Atlanta based, like actors do really mm-hmm. well because. Oh, okay the big, I mean, the big stuff often films here. And I actually talked to a director who's based out of somewhere out west, Montana, somewhere, I don't know. But we were sending, he was getting a lot of um, recasting movie, looking at tapes and reels and stuff. And he's like, I'm blown away by the reels from people in Atlanta because their, mm-hmm. their footage, every scene is starring against an A-lister. And then you get the reels from people in LA with the same like level of experience and you might get one A-lister in the whole reel, you know, just because of the level of competition. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think it's, it's a great area of opportunity. It's a great learning kind of stepping stone. Studios still cast a hundred percent out of LA. So, you know, I've known, I have several friends and, incredibly talented actors that have moved out there just you know they start in like three or four shows here 
they've been in a couple of my movies that have gone to different festivals and whatnot. And now in order to get studio casting to look at them, they have to be able to like be at a casting in three hours. Um, Right. And that's just part of it right now. I do wonder if it'll change Post-COVID, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because so many casting directors are doing mm-hmm. these, like, broad casting calls just to get to know mm-hmm. actors all around the U.S. And I think that's really smart, and I hope that that sticks. Mm-hmm. I think it allows for a lot more diversity and inclusion, and I yeah. don't just mean that in a racial sense, but even in, a, like, a background sense. Because somebody right. that comes, you know, from Kentucky is going to do a character very different and somebody that comes from Nevada. And I think right. that all of that deserves representation on screen. So and we'll Katie see. Holmes, she, Katie Holmes did her audition as Joey Potter via tape. And a lot of people don't know that. And I mentioned that because she was from a small town at the time. Mm-hmm. So her interpretation would, would have been completely different from child actor um, Michelle Williams, who yeah. ended up playing Jen. So I think that, that we should have been doing this all along because you have people in small towns and they just want that big break. It's different but voices. they can't make it to L.A. Yes, different mm-hmm. voices and everything. And you just, you have no idea the untapped talent around this country until exactly. you open it up like this. Exactly. And I actually, like I... I mentioned, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish your thoughts. Well, I was just going to say, I um, mentioned last, I think it was this past Sunday, that um, they're reopening Hollywood, and one of the stipulations is the auditions are either virtual or they're going to be in person with plexiglass in front of them. Well, who the hell wants to do an audition like that? (laughs) Like, who wants to do, who wants to have producers behind a plexiglass when you're like, doing an audition, that's just weird. And and then you have to take off your mat, just do it virtual. Virtual is the best way. Yeah. Well, okay, go ahead, sorry. Well, you're still battling an old studio system that wants yeah. these mm-hmm. in-person auditions because that's what they've always mm-hmm. done. It was interesting when yeah. I was reading a bunch of the different studio guidelines while preparing mm-hmm. our own independent film, like COVID prevention plan for production. Um, I realized a lot of the things that the studios are saying about casting, we already do on independent Mm. film, which is like, we're talking like 10 million and below um, because of money. I can't have open calls. You just Mm -hmm. don't have the time or the money. If I get two months of prep, we need people to submit via tape. And then we usually do in-person callbacks and pick our top, you know, two to three for each role. Mm -hmm. But sometimes those people are on jobs in LA, even though they may live in Atlanta or in New York or wherever. And so we just, you know, FaceTime or Skype. I hate Skype. Just going to say that Skype did not pay terrible service. Um, Yeah. FaceTime. Now zoom has become a thing to be able to have interactions, you know, Mm -hmm. and to really, you get a sense of the person because it's live but you don't have to be physically in the same room with mm-hmm. them. There's also going to be right. a lot of rehearsals that happen virtually because you're not going to fly uh-huh. your actors in until, you know, honestly, Filming. the last minute plus mm-hmm. enough time to test. Um, mm-hmm. 
but you're going to be doing a lot of rehearsals between actors and directors and whatnot via Zoom and talking through characters and running lines. And that's going to be a very important aspect. And I think because it makes more sense for people's schedules and lives if they don't Mm -hmm. have to leave their kids two weeks early. Right. You know? Even just a table, just do that via Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen multiple shows. I don't know if you've watched them. I watched the Lizzie McGuire episode table read. Hilarious. But they've done it with multiple shows. Oh, my God. Well, they're all older. Older. Oh, okay. I'm old as well. But anyway, they're all older. I've never gotten into Lizzie McGuire. I I don't know why. I was babysitting at the time. Like, I'm too old for Uh it, but I was babysitting and remember watching episodes. But I've just kind of followed Hillary Duff's career. And so when they did this, I was like, well, I'm going to see what it's like. And it was really funny um, just having them all kind <laughs> of relive that. these roles. But I'm like, if they can do that mm-hmm. for something that was filmed 15, 20 years ago, then yeah. I don't remember the dates of Lizzie McGuire. But I'm like, we can do table mm-hmm. reading, no problem. You know? I so, just think it's just going to be, there's going to be a new normal. I don't think this it, yeah. things are ever going to be the way that they were before. Um, I do question though, how are we going to do like love scenes and fight scenes and, well, I don't know how, I don't it know. It all depends. That, and I yeah. think that the key, the key thing, so we did, we spent six weeks, I say we, my company, um, spent six mm-hmm. weeks talking to department heads and really like digging into what is the smartest way to do this as people who will mm-hmm. be wearing the mask we'll be following these guidelines like what does that look like um mm-hmm. and so the the thing that we've come to is kind of like our foundation is what we're calling a pod system which is mm-hmm. dividing the cast and crew into small as small groups as possible of people that mm-hmm. have to interact with each other within six feet and so those okay. people become a family group that only interact with each other for the duration of the project. And oh, okay. they will, so they will eat meals together. They can, mm-hmm. they will, everybody will, every pod will have a separate kind of catering crafty area that is for them to step out and hydrate or just sit and rest for a few minutes. Cast will have trailers obviously, but there will be even like between takes that they can step into that tent space and breathe for a minute before walking back into set. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of the, the foundation is this like grouping system where you and nine other people are really committed to protecting each other. Um, yeah. And so that's the foundation. And then from there, we have to have a production meeting for every single project that mm-hmm. is just like, I don't it's, it's called a page turn meeting. But we okay. will read it specific for COVID, meaning that the head of the art department, the head of the electric department, the head of the grip department, the head of the camera, like we are all sitting around a table, some 15, 20 people reading every single line and then raise a hand if you have an issue. How are we going to address this? How are we going to address mm-hmm. all these costume changes for this flashback? How are we going to right. handle this location that's super intimate? Like, how are we going to handle Mm -hmm. just every single thing across every department? And that leads into a specific plan for that production. 
And I think when it gets to like intimate scenes, that is something that you break down per scene because there are some ways where you could show a wide that allows some type of like covering over mouth and nose um, to show them like making love together, but they're not actually breathing on each other. And then if you need to show like his perspective, like point of view, you can do that with just the camera. And then the camera operator has a mask on with the camera and the actor is Mm -hmm. acting alone, which is much safer. And then I think we're going to see a lot of like foreplay come back around and yeah, you know so let's just turn this into a strip tease i was like no. i haven't seen enough like <laughs> masturbation is foreplay like let's put them yeah. on opposite sides of the room you know like be creative and come yeah. up with other ways to where you don't have to have them face to face i really think until this is over kissing needs to be a no um yeah there are options for things like you can no, kiss no. someone's shoulder you could kiss their forehead. Yeah. You could kiss their Which hair. Which kind of more romantic. Yeah. I think it's going to change how we portray sex on screen for the a while. Industry. And I don't think that's a bad thing, you know? Right. Like, it's getting us mm-hmm. away from, like, main event. And, but also, like, first kisses. How are you going to do that? Well, you can either fake it or, yeah, you, fake you know, it. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's camera trick. We all know yeah. that there are ways that you position a camera that we do it all the time in fight scenes. Like people aren't actually punching each other. It's a trick of the exactly. camera and the stunt coordinator, you know? I, um, I'd rather the the camera trickery in some of those kissing scenes because I was watching something and these two actors had so much tongue. I literally went, Bleh! like, I just, <laughs> that's too much. Yeah. Just let, let me, Leave something to my imagination. <laughs> oh, I know. I, we had one movie, Ugh. and I was sitting in Video Village, and they were kissing, and I was, like, Ugh. swatting my face, trying to make it. I was just like, stop, stop. Oh, my God. Yeah, why is that not, mouth noise? Yeah. No, mouth noise is not Ugh. sexy unless you're doing it, you know? <laughs> we fixed it in post with sound design, but, dear God, it was Ugh. just, yeah, I think, I think we'll be better off for it. I think it's going to make people be a little more creative and, yeah, you know, we'll see. And I think if it's something that is like a romance where you can't get around it, we're very much seeing a rise of like casting married people or people that live together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Only problem is gonna... what if this couple breaks up in the middle of their talking? Well, it doesn't matter. And what? They're still going to have to be quarantined together. Like, Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Contractually, they're, yeah. I don't know they're that stuck. it changes. Mm-hmm. And often, like, yeah. I don't know. Yes, people break up, but usually mm-hmm. happens, like, it's, it's a bit of time coming where you can at least finish yeah. the film, hopefully. Um, Take it to the yeah, I mean, <laughs> The whole point is that we're eliminating those other options Physical for, like, contact, yeah. Contam- yeah, contamination. Mm-hmm. I actually feel like with stunts, it's not as big a deal. And we've had several conversations with, like, the stunt coordinators we work with, Um the biggest thing is making sure any physical exertion, sweat, spit, mm-hmm. shouting, whatnot, is not directed mm-hmm. toward a person, but is a camera trick in a different direction. But that's often what we do anyway. So 
that it's not it doesn't seem as foreign with intimate scenes where you're completely changing how you shoot them. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. Because um, with stunts, you're already I, trying to like not actually hit somebody in the head. Exactly. So why not apply that to kissing? Yeah. Um. I I think it's going to change the porn industry completely. Maybe even like dare <laughs> say eliminate it. That. And that's a billion dollar industry. So they're I, not going to eliminate so bad it. There's them. no way they're giving that up. But I don't know. Yeah. True. How uh, how are they going to like? How do you how I whatever. I've, I don't have answers for that. That is not my area yeah. of expertise. Yeah. And I do not be those producers. I actually, that seems... I actually have a friend who edits porn, so I should ask her. She does her own, like, podcast and everything. I should ask her. How's that going to change? I mean, um, that's an interesting question, but I, I got to yeah. ask this. <laughs> that seems overwhelming <laughs> to me. My other thought, you're going to have to now rely on story. So if you're telling a romance, you're going to have to show it more than ever. And I oh, love yeah. that because there are so many movies where they just get to sex and they push you into wanting to love this. Even with, with television, um, I watch a soap opera. I watch Young and the Restless every day. And there's this couple that I'm just like, why are they together? And, of course, they have sex. And I'm just like, okay, so they have sex. But... Tell me why they are so destined to be together. And now those scenes are going to be prolonged. So this might end up really relying more on the writers than ever. And I can't wait for that. I, I, as an aspiring writer myself, I love how creative we can be as far as storytelling. And I hate to, okay, a couple meets, they have sex. You're supposed to love them. Eh. Why? Tell me why. Yeah. Tell me why. So I'm, I'm excited a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Excited about will this create a new genre, maybe. I know that sounds weird, but I don't know. Maybe it will. I don't know. More buddy comedies where yeah. the leads aren't dating. I don't know. Interesting. I'm interested I'm excited. to see where it is in a year you know yeah some of it will come back but I do think the good thing about how like pervasive this has been is like this is how you Mm -hmm. change behavior Mm -hmm. and everybody's like it's 30 days or 29 days or whatever to change it have like to build a habit well Mm -hmm. we've been in this a long time and like it's already changing how people are consuming media Meaning mm-hmm. from their homes, streaming, looking more towards different types of streaming services versus theaters, and yep. like even releasing, having premieres online versus uh, in the yeah. theater. And I don't think the theaters are ever going to like completely go away, but no. the monopoly of the box office is changing. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I is. think that that is a very good thing. Um, especially from where I sit, because the box office is always dominated by studio with yeah. a few like amazing freak independent accidents that nobody can mm-hmm. understand quite why it happened. Like it's just the perfect mm-hmm. synergy for that project. But then there's so many great projects that don't have that kind of success that you're like, mm-hmm. I, I still am analyzing it and don't understand. Um, 
but I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a very good thing. It gives more options for independent, for smaller, more marginalized voices to get out into the world. And Mm -hmm. I'm also really loving this whole drive-in theater thing. Oh my God. Yeah. I have to do it. Yeah. You should. It's fantastic. And like, it's just such a like retro experience, but you're in your car, which is as Mm -hmm. clean or as dirty as you choose to be. And like, nobody's dumb is going to threaten your feet or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's just there is still that sense of camaraderie of watching it together with other people. Yes. Yeah. But you know, whoever you're quarantining with can be in your car and you know, like I don't know. Yep. I really enjoy the experience and I've seen we had um last weekend, sadly we were under curfew and we were all too afraid to go. But two of mm. my good friends, Ruckus and Lane Sky, wrote the movie Becky that just came out. Um, okay. It's a horror film with Kevin James and Lulu Wilson. Uh-oh. Really fantastic script. And they just did, they opened to 40 drive in theaters last Friday. Wow. And already made like 170, like that weekend, it made $170,000 at the box office. And right now, wow. I'm looking at the box office because nothing else is showing. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an indie film. And it's just like, that's so cool. Wow. Uh, yeah. The only thing so. that I'm, like, confused about, I guess, is, so when Roma came out, mm-hmm. Roma, um, it came out first in a couple of theaters, and then it went streaming on Netflix. And the Academy voted for them in the, at the Oscars, but then they also got a TV movie um, Emmy nomination, and so how do you differentiate what's a TV movie and what's a theatrical <laughs> release if it's on streaming? How how the heck do you differentiate that? Like how, uh, that part's confusing for me. It's confusing for everyone. Uh, <laughs> um, so the thing about the academy is everything yeah. was set up. All the rules were set up pre-internet. So it is slowly trying to, like, it's like our legal system. It's slowly trying to catch yes. up with the time. Catch up. Okay. But it's not sweeping change. It's like we'll change mm-hmm. this one thing, and then two years later we change this one more thing and whatnot. Yeah. I think there needs to be sweeping change in the entire yes. academy of system. I mean, it's it's all rigged. It's all about the best campaign. And Popularity. The, like, yeah. And campaigning. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. but. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I, I just that's I don't have an answer me. for you because it's all about yeah. the people in charge making decisions that year for things, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like the academy is slowly figuring out how to deal with streaming services, but they're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And one of the mm-hmm. reasons Netflix started like five years ago doing limited theatrical on some of its, like, um, goodness, I'm trying to remember. What was the Child Soldier film? Something Nation. Child Soldier. Anyway, they were trying to get an Oscar nom for it. And so they did, like, mm-hmm. less than 10 theaters one weekend because that's what you had to do to qualify uh, for an Oscar, like, for the Academy. So there's all these rules of, like, 
you have to do a limited theatrical to be considered. But then now the world is changing and like, especially with Universal being so gung ho to want to avoid the theater. I think Mm -hmm. that gives an impetus to like put pressure on the Academy to actually change things. Because I mean, they had great success last month, six weeks ago with trolls. And Uh, the thing about avoiding, I'm trying to remember how much they made. They made a ton of money. And by going straight, sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. By going streaming. Yep. By going streaming, they were able Mm -hmm. to keep more of the profits for themselves versus Mm. it with the theaters. Paying box office. So Trolls is a perfect example. I was so pissed off when that movie came out. If you go to a regular theater, I didn't see it either because I boycotted it. If you go to a regular theater, because I'm a moviegoer, I go to the movies all the time. Before this, I mean, there was one theater that knew me by name. I kid you not. I would walk (laughs) in, hi, um, I'm like, oh, God, hi. Oh, my God, I can't believe they know my name. And this one time, they went up the, the, um, because I go to, uh, I don't know if you guys have Lux Level. I don't know if you guys have that. Mm -mm. Um, No. So you walk in, and it's um, Showcase Cinema and AMC have redesigned their theaters. They recline, but they also have a concierge button, and you can call a waiter or a waitress. And they, we they have something you, like, similar. Okay, yeah. So that's what I, I, I love it. So this, um, <laughs> I press the button, and I'm like, oh, hi. And, and uh, so you want your steak tips and your lemonade? I'm like, how do you guys know my order? <laughs> like, you're always here. And I'm like, okay, great. Yes, I would. Thank you. But um, that movie ticket is $23. And that's the highest. The lowest is about $15. So if I wanted to rent a movie at home, it's about the highest I've seen was like $8 to rent a film. Um, the lowest was two ninety nine. actually 99 cents. Why then do I go to rent trolls and it's nineteen ninety nine? Why are you well, overcharging me? There, well, here's the, here's the metric behind that because they did not invent twenty dollars. That was kind okay, of agreed okay. on across all studio, not all studios. So Emma came out prior to that, didn't do well at all which, because nobody wanted to watch it. Emma, the new Emma. Emma? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's okay, Jane okay, okay. Austen's Emma with um, yes. the girl from The Witch. I won, anyway. I won a digital copy of that. Yeah, okay. Um, so that was also $20. Nobody paid it. Oh, they didn't want it. No. Um, no. And there were a couple more that came out all at that 1999 mark. Yes. The reason that they came man. up with that amount mm-hmm. is because when you for like when a family goes to the theater, it's mm-hmm. one parent, maybe two, one child, maybe right. two. So you're looking right. at making, or you have an individual. So depending on the family group, you're making between, you know, 10 to $40 total, and then you have to split that with the theater. Yep. If you have a family, like Brandon, our mutual friend, where it's himself, mm-hmm niece and nephew, that's four people yep. watching a movie yep. for, for $5 each. So it's a right. discount for people with families, but for 
people who live alone or who they're the like only me. one in the house that wants to watch the movie, then that right. is going to be an increase. And that's yes. just, there's no way around that right now. Mm. It's kind of their meet in the middle model. And so for so me, I, I did, have not purchased a $20 movie because Mm-mm. eventually there, the price is, even though it's going to stay on streaming, mm-hmm. the price is going to change and mm-hmm. I'll watch it then. Yep. And that's fine. But those kids that mm-hmm. really wanted to watch trolls on opening night mm-hmm. made a bunch of money. And if there were four sure kids in the house, like they got the deal of a lifetime. Right. So. Yeah. It's not perfect. I mean, but that's their. Now thing. that you've now that you've explained it, I get it. It's just at the time, I knew and I knew right us. away. Oh yeah, you I know, knew right like, away. The highest ticket, not lux level, is seventeen ninety nine. You're charging me two dollars more to sit in my my bedroom and watch it. Oh no. I was livid, Gabby. Livid. Oh, so mad. And well, then I thought, you know what? These parents just got their COVID-19 check. They got their 600 bucks. They got all this and unemployment and everything. And you're charging 20 bucks? Why not just... I bet you you would get more bang for your buck if it was $6. I bet you a lot more people would buy it if it was $6. I get the model of the 20 but I bet you anything a lot more people would have bought. I don't know. It It'll cheaper. take – they're going to have to experiment with that. Like, this is the first they time they have done anything like True. this. And especially for True. things that are more – so I think it works with trolls because you're you're targeting yes. families, and it's a good deal yes. for them for Friday night entertainment. When it exactly. comes to different genres, I think they're going to have to look at different pricing models because if it's something yeah. that – a single woman alone would prefer to watch, then you can't mm-hmm. expect a $20 price tag, you know? So I think they're going to have like, to learn. But right now they're just, I mean, this is, it's a studio system that hasn't changed since it was created mm-hmm. and it's had to change in like three months. So yeah, I'm kind of just sure. like giving them slack and letting them figure it out and knowing like, I was never all about that theatrical release. I just want to like mm. make my money back for my investors, and if that's streaming, then we're going to go streaming first. Yeah. And I just really, right before all this happened, I saw the movie The Invisible Man, and I was like, oh, my God, this movie's so good. Let me rewatch it now that, you know, with COVID. And it was 20 bucks. I'm like, nope, 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 <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> nope, that's too much. Yep. And now I get it, I guess. I, yeah. Still mad, I mean, I but, understand it. I don't necessarily agree. Yeah. But. Yeah. But. I get you that they're still figuring it out. Um, what are some of the, um, if you can discuss any of your current or future projects that you're doing? Well, we, there will be news articles in the next few weeks. We just okay. signed a deal on um, a thriller what do they call it? A home invasion movie. Oh, okay, um, that we okay. filmed last year and just finished. Um, and nice. so we've had, we've been entertaining a bunch of authors and we've developed a really good relationship with this distributor. And I'm really excited to see kind of how it pans out. Like we were really focused on making sure we paid back our investors 
and mm-hmm. we're able to like actually show profit. Um, and so have a very transparent contract with them with like caps for marketing at every level. And it's going to go, they're only buying streaming. And so mm-hmm. we as producers have the option to then go to dr- different drive-in theaters and make individual deals for some premieres in key cities and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, anybody wants, my Instagram is my name and we'll have news coming out on that very shortly. Nice. And then other than that, I mean, we're in development on multiple projects and trying nice. to figure out when we're going to be allowed to shoot again. <laughs> I know. It's a daily uh, question of, okay, when can we, can we start? And so we've, we've transitioned all of our prep up until the tech scout, which is like when all the boots are on the ground for every department to see all the locations mm-hmm. and put in like final orders that everything before that, which is about six weeks of work um, is digital so that we can allow for self quarantining, but people will start getting paid and we'll just all work from home and probably be on zoom, which are the bane of my existence, but zooms for like 10 hours a day, <laughs> every day. I know. When one of my like, friends. Do you want to Zoom or phone? I'm like, can we just not look at each other? Like, worried about my <laughs> my facial angles while I'm trying to do work? It's just a little much. Yeah, true. Um, my friend actually did a film via during quarantine. He actually filmed his scenes, got his costume and everything, filmed his um, filmed everything. Actually, no, had his girlfriend film it and then send it back to the director. So I'm interested to see how that film will work. I've seen a few things like that. There was, I don't think I watched it. There have been a couple of shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one on CBS that has not aired yet, like streaming to where, because I don't have cable. I only have streaming. Um, Okay. um, It's the African-American female judge. What's it called? All right. Oh, um, yeah. All right. And their right. last yep, episode yep. was all via Zoom, and like what wow. happened to the court system in quarantine and whatnot. And so wow. I'm really interested to see that. And then Apple Plus has an original show about gaming. It's super funny. Mm-hmm. Um, Light of the Concord, maybe. I don't know. It's literally the only gaming show on Apple Plus. But they okay. did a special episode to the end of season one that is Mm -hmm. gaming in a world of zoom so like running a gaming company from everybody being on zoom hilarious and it was hilarious and like they did such a good job and they clearly like spent everybody got like a lighting and camera package and then they probably had so many rehearsals and stuff but Mm -hmm. it looked really good the characters felt Hmm the same like there wasn't a distance with them being on like on screen on screen versus in person and I don't know I was really I was really impressed so I'm kind of I'm interested to see all of the different things that come out of this you Mm -hmm. know post or as we get further into quarantine and people are making these kind of very creative projects what all types of content we get to enjoy this reminded me, now that you're talking about it, of a movie I saw in theaters that I absolutely loved. It was a horror movie, 
And when it came out, everyone was like, that is the dumbest thing I ever heard. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not so dumb anymore. It's called Unfriended. Have you heard of that? What it is is um, there's this girl at the – there's these um, six people. They're like varying popularities at a high school. And one girl at the high school, she either was killed or committed suicide. And yeah. one by one, they're all on like a um, – it was shot on an Apple – I think it was shot on their all of the cast Apple phones. And one by one, people are ending up dead. And it is the most interesting movie I have ever seen. Of course, it takes place and you just see the six dreams. But you see the background. The le- oh, my gosh. You have to watch it. It is so good. Huh. I, I actually think I'm going to watch it again. It was so good when it came out. And then they did a sequel and it wasn't as good. Um, but, yeah, it was so, oh, my gosh. Unfriended. So amazing. And everyone made fun mm. of it. I think that would be the way of the future now. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. I'll have to check it out. It's only cool. $20. Oh, it's got to be at least like five because it's a couple years old now, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, so good. Um, before we say goodbye, do you have any shout outs? Or, um, I have this thing that I do on Sundays when I have my panel. Um, it's called the Eva Mendez moment. I forgot how the title came about, but it's like a lighthearted moment that's like completely. Oh, wait, actually, before we go, I have to ask you, because um, we talked about it and I totally didn't bring it up. Um, how are you? I know that you were helping voters and everything in Georgia. How are you doing? Oh, my gosh. It's been a special couple of days. I mean, it's been mm. it's been a hard couple of weeks for everybody, obviously. Yeah. And I feel like I was talking with one of my really good friends who's this amazing, like, glorious African-American contemporary dancer and actress. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, I was like, I feel like we get on the phone with each other when, like, things get really hard. And we're like, I'm crying every day and I'm not a crier and I need to talk to somebody who gets that. And so mm-hmm. she and I will always, like, like, when Trump was elected, we called each other, laid in bed with our dogs, and, like, cried. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, just, like, anyway. Um, but going somewhere with that. Anyway, so we were talking. I feel like these last few weeks have been very hard because, obviously, mm-hmm. everything is George Floyd. And, like, I feel like Georgia is a hot button in a sense. Like, there's a few places in the, in the country that are very kind of, like, center of the news. And Georgia is kind of, like, one of four. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just been like starting back in January with all of the different awful, horrible things that have happened. It's just, it's mm-hmm. been very disheartening. Um, yeah. For everyone that wants a fair life, like a better life. And mm-hmm. I felt this way for the last five years, honestly. And it kind of hit me in talking with her and as I've like really tried to listen and understand, I'm like, my God, this is what black people have felt like their entire lives. Like the feeling of hopeless and frustration and anger. And like, you want to fight, but you're so tired. And you, you, some days you're just really tired and other days you fight. And on Tuesday Mm -hmm. it was the Georgia primaries and I'd voted early voting um, and then volunteered with a group of filmmakers who 
we all knew there were going to be long lines, but we didn't realize how bad it was going to be. And so we had gotten mm-hmm. donations. So the Friday, a week ago Friday, was the last day of early voting. And Brandon mm-hmm. stood in line for three hours in the rain waiting to vote. Mm. He'd already early voted in March, but Georgia had <sighs> moved the date due to COVID twice for the primaries. So oh it was in God. May, and now it's in June. And so his prim- because he voted and voted for Warren back when, it wasn't valid anymore. So he had to go vote again. <sighs> oh so my he went God. on Friday, stood there three hours in the rain. So after that, a lot of us realized this is going to be bad on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. several filmmakers kind of took the reins and were like, let's get donations. They got some local restaurants to sponsor and just get like snacks and waters and whatnot. And then we mm-hmm. would report to one of our favorite restaurants in town. They, like, opened their um, loading dock and just had, mm-hmm. like, handing out stuff. So we'd load up our cars and then get directions to go to this pole or this pole. And we'd get different reports. Aww. But these are super long. You know, this is um, different instances that were happening. And so when wow. we handed out water and hours. And, I mean – there were so many different things that happened where it was like voting machines weren't delivered until an hour and a half after voting was supposed to have started at some places. Oh my goodness. Other places there was no power cords delivered Ugh. with or extension cords with the voting machines. Um, oh other places goodness. had that happen, but also didn't have printers or paper to be able to go back to like a paper model. There oh, were instances where when that happens, <sighs> you're supposed to have be able to ask for a provisional ballot, um, which yeah. is the last thing to be counted because they have to verify that you're registered to vote, and it's all manual, so it takes forever. And it's really awful. Like, it's the worst way to mm. do it, but if that's the only thing you have as an option to vote and you have to get to work, that's what you're going to do. Well, multiple yeah. places in Georgia ran out of provisional ballots completely. Oh, come Some on. Some ran out of democratic ballots here in Atlanta oh, and they said you can either vote Republican or you can come back. Um, <gasps> and it, like, Stop. yeah. So, so many things happen. And of course the government and the <sighs> state officials are all blaming, well, the volunteer, we didn't have enough volunteers due to COVID, which is true because so many volunteers are retired. <sighs> there was definitely understaffing. They consolidated the voting locations due to COVID, supposedly. Um, But, I mean, there were counties where it went from 80 polling locations to five. Like, how are you expected to handle that kind of volume? And, yeah, I mean, across the board, everything was set against us on Tuesday. And it was just, it felt like the weight of everything we've been fighting for with protests and with action, like all of this stuff, just like fell on us as a state on Tuesday mm-hmm. and I could like hardly speak and I'm so proud of the city it was specifically Atlanta and we worked mostly like the south of Atlanta which is yeah. minor like minorities pretty much and I live mm-hmm. in a county that's mm-hmm. 70% minority um okay and love it where like I love where I live it's amazing um but anyway, we, you know, just everybody was that. so polite in line. People brought 
it looked like people were going to pregame for about because they knew they knew because they brought they brought chairs they brought snacks they Mm -hmm. brought you know like they some of them came prepared and then others didn't um Mm. and i mean there were reports all the way up until the polls to like 9 and 10 p.m depending Mm -hmm. on their delays but like there were nurses that got off a 12-hour shift and went to go vote at seven like to try to get mine right before seven that then were not able to vote until like 10 or 11 p.m Oh, and so terrible. It, just, it was horrifying, absolutely horrifying and to it watch just, it happen and then to mm-hmm. see the government blame the little people versus, and I saw somebody say, like, look, you've postponed this twice. You knew this, known this primary was coming for years. Mm-hmm. You could have tested these systems. You could have, like, but you didn't, and you made sure that, you know, in the, the white suburbs, there weren't any problems. But in the city of Atlanta, nope, there were not one. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Buckhead and was just fine. I don't know about Buckhead. I mm-hmm. I hate Buckhead. Not going to, but I yeah. know that like Alpharetta and other white suburbs didn't have the kind mm-hmm. of problems that Atlanta had. I um, didn't hear anything. And I think there, there are a lot of things that go into that. It's like, right. Which some some employees or employers won't let you off until it's the actual voting day, which is also a problem. You know, like there's, it's a compounded issue. Right. And I recognize that, but I do know for a fact that this, our leadership is not helping people vote. Um, they've made it very difficult. And that's specifically in areas that are minorities and high democratic turnout. And they don't want, and they will, I know, for, and they, I know that the they government say, doesn't want to nope. flip the state. Nope. And we almost did with Stace, with the governor race with Stacey Abrams mm-hmm. and Brian Kemp. And I think we would yep. have had he not purged so many voters during his mm-hmm. last couple years as Secretary of State. Yep. It's very corrupt. It's and I yesterday as we talked about mm-hmm. was just very like tired and yeah. the mental load of tell. that. Mm. I was like I. I feel a little bit useless today, but doesn't mean I'm going to stop. I, yes, I did rest more and like tried to yeah. watch, I watched baking shows. I was like, I just need somebody to make a cake <laughs> for me and like me not worry about what's going on. But you know, yeah. got back up today, felt better, more mm-hmm. mentally present. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, all right, now we've got a handful of months to figure out how we address this in November. Yeah. So, you know, I've got calls tomorrow starting to marshal troops and get people organized to see all the different ways that we can attack this and try to fix it. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I don't trust that we're going to actually be able to fix it because the people in power mm-hmm. are very powerful. So I intend to, like, have plans for all of it. Like, if November is an utter shit show, we're going to have mm-hmm. And that's what I've said since the beginning. The reason why, because what they'll say, and they meaning mostly Republicans, if you can protest, you can go out and vote. So they'll give you that guilt. But the thing mm-hmm. is, I've said this, when he was upset that we couldn't, that we even wanted to do mail-in voting, I thought something's wrong with that. He, it's because he can't rig it. He can't, I mean, well, it he's allows firing people- the 
that are have to work 12 mm-hmm. hour days factory like lower yeah. income people that have to work it allows senior mm-hmm. citizens who can't get out it allows yeah. the disenfranchised to have a voice and that voice yeah. will outvote him that's will. why he's not he going to fund the that's why he wants to defund or take away money altogether from the U.S. post office because without no post office, you can't do a mail-in vote. Well, he, so there was that whole statement or article that came out today about what he said, I think May 19th or something, about mm-hmm. not wanting absentee ballots to be an option mm-hmm. for the majority of states you know, that w- with their primaries. I mm-hmm. mean, granted, Georgia did a great, great job of effing that up. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it was a whole thing um, where people with absentee that applied for an absentee ballot but didn't get them. Some of my friends got them Wednesday morning. Wednesday morning. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So if you applied for an absentee ballot, you were put on a separate list. If you went in to vote because you didn't get your absentee ballot, you had to file an affidavit, like sign an affidavit saying you didn't receive Mm. it and then have the uh, person at voting at the polls call a supervisor to get permission to allow you to vote. Oh my gosh. And then it's a provisional ballot. And so several of my friends posted videos of like, I don't know if my vote's going to be counted. Mm. I have zero faith in the system after seeing what all I had to do to get. But there were so many people standing like wrapped around massive buildings and parking lots determined to wait it out. And like that gave me so much hope. Like every, I feel yeah. like every single person that I've seen in protest showed up at the polls and were like, I don't care how mm-hmm. much I sweat. It is muggy. It is 85 degrees. Mm. We are here and we're fighting. And yeah. that, that gives me hope. And we're oh, going to have a goodness. plan. Yeah, I'm just waiting for our primary up here in Massachusetts. I'm a little nervous, not going to lie to you, because I did vote for Warren. And I don't know. I just don't know. This is crazy. Um, I mean... Go ahead. I was just... I'm just thinking, like, it's an insane time, but I think that we finally found that perfect storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah actually change things for our country for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the perfect time. I mean, it took a tragedy, but look what happened with that tragedy. You know? Well, it took um, so many tragedies, but it also took a yeah, quarantine. Exactly. Quarantine. Mm-hmm. Wow, I can't talk. Quarantine, where so mm-hmm. many people, their only way to know what's going on is not to be in the world and to be distracted but is through Mm -hmm. social media. And so when this stuff started happening, people could not look away. Mm -hmm. And that has reached more communities and created more of a sense of solidarity and a sense of awareness Mm -hmm. than has happened previously because people could just go to work and forget about it. Oh, I have things to worry about in my own life. No, we don't have anything to worry about other than sitting at home and not catching COVID. So we're going to worry about the things that really matter. And I, the time is now. Mm -hmm. And 
the sad part about this is, well, the good and bad part about that last two weeks especially, I've seen so much support for Black Lives Matter. I've seen so much support for all Black Lives Matter. I've seen so much support for Black trans lives. And I've also seen racists come out that I never would expect would be a racist or um, a a xenophobe. I've never seen, like, J.K. Rowling is a xenophobe? Like, I didn't know that. I know. That that shocked me. Like, she wrote Harry Potter, and I thought that was, like, kind of like a a take on being different. And then she's like, yeah, well, trans women are not actually women, and, and they're taking away from my experience. What, girl? I was shocked. I was shocked. I'm still shocked. And I I don't know. I just, I don't know what's going on right now. Well, I think people are being called to give an account and like they have to admit who they really are. Yeah, true. Sometimes I just wish they wouldn't. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, (laughs) But whatever. That's just my thought. Um, Great talking to you. Oh, my God. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I know. We don't have to are... call I do have to work at some sure. point. <laughs> I, I'm actually, well, you do. I am on vacation, honey, until actually oh, tomorrow. Right. And then I'm working overtime on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my boss has called me. She's like, uh, can you do overtime? I'm like, hmm, let me think. Overtime working from home. Hmm. Can I do that? <laughs> yes, I can. I, by the way, I'm loving working from home. This is like the best thing ever. I never thought well, I would, but yeah. I'm a little scared, crazy. I'm not gonna lie. I you are. Well, I've got. So. Yeah, I've gotten out though. Like I socially distanced with my mom, and you know, I had my mask on because she's 66, and I socially distanced with my my sister and my niece and nephew. Again, my mask and. So I've gotten out. My big thing, though, I went and got my inspection sticker. I was so excited. I'm like, oh, my God, I have to go get my inspection sticker today. I got it on Monday. I was so excited. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to go home now. I've got nothing else to do. But I came home, and oh, that was not exciting. But, yeah, that was, that was the most excitement of my week. <laughs> But, yeah, our worlds have changed. <laughs> yeah. So, whatever. Yeah. Well, thanks again. I'll probably hit you up on Insta more than likely because that's what I'm Wonderful. I love doing. And, yes, we are besties now. Not not <laughs> as close as me and Brandon, though, because he'd get jealous. But... We have a few years. I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I appreciate but... you having me on your show, and I've enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for so coming much. on. In here. And guys, again, Gabrielle Pickle on Instagram and Twitter if you want to follow her for her projects. And she posts some great things too. And hello, she's a great person to follow. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for coming, Gabby. Bye, everyone. Still thirsty for more tea? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Spilled Tea PC. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Spilled Tea.